Well, let's, um, let's join in prayer together. Lord, as we enter together into worship of you, slow us down and relieve our hurried minds and bodies from things that are temporary so we can marvel at things eternal. The prophet Isaiah saw you sitting on a throne high and lifted up, the train of your robe filling the temple. Lord, your ways are far above our ways. Your creation is as vast as a trillion galaxies, each with billions of stars, as intricate as particles within atoms that somehow hold together, and as beautiful to us as a mountain lake. You can create in an instant with power like an explosion, and you can sustain life over billions of years. And as powerful as you are, Lord, you've seen fit to love us, intimately and even humble yourself to take on skin and blood and walk among us on earth, shedding your blood so that we can be redeemed. Lord, this morning our hearts inclined toward those in Miami who are suffering. These heartbreaking images we see that make us think of those who are suffering and grieving and we pray for their comfort. We pray that more of those caught in the collapse can be rescued and for protection of the rescuers. And as that community asks people to stand with them in prayer, we pray to you now, knowing that you are a very present help in times of trouble. If we go up to the heavens, you're there. If we make our beds in the depths, you're there. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And we pray for our morning of worship here, Lord, that it brings honor to you and enlivens us. Thank you especially for Jerry's work preparing, searching out your word for us in scripture. And we pray that his words are your words and that your words are ignited by the spirit in our heart so that we together can be your people working as one body. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's turn to our, our scripture reading for this morning, which Jerry has chosen a reading from the New Testament, Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, to go along with the Old Testament book of Nehemiah that we'll be um, studying this morning. Um, and this is Ephesians 4, starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, let, let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here under your word. We know that your word is breathed out by you, that it is good for teaching and reproof and correction. And... Um, it will equip us so that we are complete to do all the good works. So may your word illumine our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been through some life-changing times in the last 15 months, haven't we? The pandemic has caused us to be in isolation for months and months and months. We've had to rethink how we do work and family and shopping. Uh, here at church, we've had to rethink how we preach. You know, we preach to a camera. We have to think about how we minister to each other through little squares on a screen. 
And just last week, we stepped through yet another significant threshold as we're able to meet here in the auditorium with fewer restrictions. And we do that um, all the while we are still going to continue to live stream and we'll do so in the second service. We are glad to be here with you and we realize that things are changing and it's a hybrid ministry that we're going to embrace together. And it is a bit of adjustment as we come back. Now, I want to ask you if you know that there is another period of time in the biblical history when there was also a time of extended isolation, followed by a returning, a regathering of God's people. Well, this occurred about 2,500 years ago after Israel's return from exile uh, in Babylonia. And those are the stories that we're gonna come to today. And uh, when we come to that story, we'll find that there are familiar aspects and that there are lessons that we can apply as we regather from our isolation as well. So today and next week, we're gonna be on a two-week short sermon series called Return, Rebuild, and Rejoice. And uh, my good friend and fellow elder, Tim Paskey, will join me in this series. And we're gonna be going, we're gonna be taking these stories from Nehemiah and applying them to our return at PBCC. Uh, I'll be talking about Rebuild, Tim on Rejoice. Both of these sermons, the ark starts in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah may not be very familiar to all of us. I, I know I, for one, I don't even remember where it was in the Bible. So I'll help you out. If you have your Bibles with you, so I invite you to open it up Start in the middle, you know, around Psalms. Most of us know where Psalms is. And then go left three blocks. So I'm going to go left three blocks. Oops, I went too far. I went to Chronicles. If you hit Chronicles, you've gone too far. And go back a couple blocks. Here we are. And, and Nehemiah. So that's where we are in the, in the Bible. Now, where is Nehemiah in the overall timeline of the, old, of the Old Testament? Well, since we're spending many months in the Old Testament, um, there are going to be five different preachers who preach from the Old Testament in, in, during this year. I think it would be great for us to sort of get a view of the, old, the whole Old Testament timeline and where each, where the, each of the preachings fit in. So fasten your seatbelts and, and put up your tray tables because we're going to fly through 2,000 years. So we're going to start first about 4,000 years ago. Uh, this is about 2,000 B.C., this is a period of time called the time of the patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his 12 sons. In fact, uh, Brian finished a series just uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. Joseph was at the end of this 200-year patriarch age. We left then, at that time, all of the Israelites were in Egypt under slavery, and they stayed there for 400 years. <clears throat> And then at, at the end of those 400 years, Moses led, the, led them out of Egypt in the Exodus story about 1400 BC. So they wandered in the desert during the Exodus story for about 40 years. 
until Joshua led all the Israelites into the promised land. And they conquered all the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and a lot of other ites in there. Um, 300 years elapsed while they were in the promised land under the time called the Judges. Now, judges weren't judicial officials. They were actually more like warlords that God has placed over the individual tribes of Israel. Now, we'll turn the page, and now we're at about 1,000 BC. At 1,000 BC, uh, God gave Israel three kings, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. Uh, this was a glorious century um, because all of the 12 tribes of Israel were united under one king. So it was called the United Kingdom, which is a little different from the United Kingdom we think of today. But this century of golden period, it was wonderful for Israel because uh, during that century, the city of Jerusalem was built, its walls were enlarged, the economy prospered, King Solomon built the magnificent temple of the Lord where God placed his presence among his people. It was a wonderful year, uh, a century. And then about 900 BC, this United Kingdom was divided into a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. During this period of time, the divided kingdom people forsook God. <clears throat> they sought after the, the deities of the Canaanites. <clears throat> and in fact, last week, um, when, when uh, Sharon preached on Habakkuk, it was during this period of the, the divided kingdom. And so because of the people's idolatry, God allowed Israel's enemies to come and take over the land to punish Israel for her idolatry. So at 722 BC, uh, the, the Assyrians swept them from the east and they conquered the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. Then 150 years later, at 586 BC, God allowed the Babylonians to again sweep in from the east. And they took over all of Judah, the southern kingdom. They destroyed the magnificent temple, they broke down the city walls and gates, and all the inhabitants were exiled to Babylon and beyond. And that was the period of exile, this period of exile. In fact, Daniel, uh, the book that that Bernard will preach on in a couple of weeks, that happens during the 70-year period of the exile. Now, after these 70 years, at 516 BC to 440 BC, uh, this is the period of time when the kings of, of, of Persia allowed the Israelites to return back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild uh, the temple and the walls. And this is the time uh, of returning Repairing and rebuilding is the part that we are going to talk about today. So is Ezra and Nehemiah that you see up there, Ezra was a priest and Nehemiah was a governor or the administrator. They were the ones who led the return of, of the Israelites at around 500 BC. Um, the return from exile was pretty much the end of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi uh, Malachi was a contemporary, uh, he was a prophet, a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. His book was the last book and the last word of God in the Old Testament. God was silent for the next 400 years. 
But during these four centuries of silence, kingdoms rose, kingdoms fell, until the Roman Empire was established at 27 BC. And that brings us to 0 BC, or 0 AD. And at that time, God's word was no longer silent. His true word of God came in flesh and dwelt among us, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. So there we have it, 2,000 years and five minutes. Thank you for hanging in there with me. <laughs> well, so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah is, it was a combined one single book in the Hebrew manuscripts, and that's why I'd like to refer to it uh, with one title, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, these are historical narratives. They weren't prophecies or, or psalms or poetry. They were history. They trace the history of the return of the Israelites as they came back and rebuilt the altar, the temple, and the walls. And our story is about the rebuilding of the walls that's recounted in Nehemiah 3. And before we get there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple verses from Nehemiah 2, um, and just to set the context. Nehemiah says, Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And then the people responded, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So that's the context. This is God's work for his people. He guarantees it. You know, his hand is upon them for good, and in his sovereignty, they will have success. But along with that divine sovereignty, he also wanted human participation. He wanted his people to work alongside of him and alongside of each other to do this good work. So then everybody responded by strengthening their hands for the good work. And now I'm, we can start re reading Nehemiah 3, uh, starting in verse 1. So it goes like this. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hanesah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimot, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. Next to them, the Tekoites, repaired. And so on and so forth. The rest of chapter 32 is all like this. You know, Carl, I should have had you read the rest of the chapter when we had that little snafu. That would have been fun. No, I, I won't make you read it, and I won't read all of it either. But what I will do is I'm going to summarize parts of it, the really salient points, by, by summarizing some really interesting descriptions of the people, how they contributed, and their attitudes. And as I give you these, these summaries and observations, I'd like for us to draw out implications as they apply to us today as we return in PBCC. Now, as you heard, 
or you read, the most repeated verbs in that short section are these two words, build, bana, or repair, chazak. These two words appear in almost every single sentence in this chapter. The first of these is bana. That appears first, and it happens four times here. Um, it means uh, to build or to rebuild a physical building, a structure, a house, uh, a wall. Interestingly, bana, this word is also used when God made a woman from the rib of a man in Genesis 2.22. Same exact word for a physical building as well as that of an organic body. And the significance of that will come up later in, in the sermon. The second word that appears is chazak. And that's re it's uh, translated here as repaired. It means to make strong again, to return to strength something that was weakened, maybe because it's been atrophying from misuse. Or it also means to repair, to bring back to good functioning order something that had been broken. Now, in Nehemiah, these words repair and rebuild, they refer to physical things, you know, the lumber, the mortar, the stones, the walls and the, sea, the, the roofs and the gates. But I would uh, encourage us to think the implication to us today is not a physical building, rather, it's more of a relational building, relational. In other words, in this past 16 months, do you feel there are aspects of our relational lives that needs a bit strengthening, that needs some attention? You think? I know for me, my life, my interaction with many of you, my beloved friends, I've let it lapse. And I know I have to intentionally reach out to you or you can reach out to me so that we can reconnect and rebuild that, that relationship. While we recognize that uh, there are many areas in our personal relational lives that could use strengthening, what I'd like to do is pivot for the rest of this message to rather our community life, the life of this body at PBCC, and think as we come back, is there, are there areas that need a bit more strengthening? You know, when we return, you know, we wish, as Carl mentioned earlier, we wish that we could just snap and everything's back to normal exactly as it had been before. But the reality is, my friends, that things are different. Changes have occurred and transitions have and will continue to happen. They are unavoidable. So then we may ask, how do we navigate these transitions in the coming weeks and months? Well. I would like to bring out some little nuggets of wisdom from Nehemiah chapter three. And I'll give you four of these. The first is the list of workers that are mentioned in Nehemiah three, right? We know that the, the workers are listed by family names, all of which are impossible to pronounce. They're listed by social status, by where they're coming from. If you look, they're the high priests and the Levites and the temple servants, they're rulers and nobles and they're commoners and inhabitants. They've come from Kaila, they come from Zenoa, from Jericho. So everybody is mentioned, clergy and professionals, they're rulers and common people, Jerusalem, Jericho, all the different places in, in Judah. So it seems like it's a rather disparate, disjointed group of people, right? But what joins all of these disparate people together are these words, 
you see them next to him, next to him, after him, next to them, next to them. It's, it just jumps out at you. They are next to each other, side by side by side. They're walking, working alongside each other. Their arms are locked. Their hands are joined. They are united. They're, they're united because their work and their purpose unites them. It transcends their, their profession, transcends their, their career, transcends their social status, their gender, everything, because everybody was able to pitch in and participate in God's work side by side. I think that, that the, the implication for us is pretty clear, and it'll be even clearer as we look at this next observation. And this next one is the unique skills and abilities. Each person contributed something very unique, and that something was necessary, indispensable for God's work. When we look, we have the priests. They did the holy thing. They consecrated. We had the carpenters that laid the beams. We had the iron workers that did, that did the bolts. And, the, and the, we had the roof makers make the roofs. We had all genders. We had the father and his daughters. We have brothers and sons. We have all sorts of different trades. We have goldsmiths and perfumers and merchants. So everybody was involved. Everybody was necessary to do the whole project. We just heard the partner moments, and I want to refer to that because Marjorie, Marjorie thought she was too insignificant. How could she possibly do something for the Lord? Well, after 30 years of faithful ministry, God showed her what she was doing was very important. It was indispensable in all of God's projects. And so I encourage each one of you, if you feel like, oh gosh, I, I, there's, I can't really contribute. No, your contributions are necessary. They're indispensable. And so realize that. Realize that you can and should be part of that. My next observation is this the personal work area. We read, Hasub repaired opposite his house, Ananiah beside his own house, each one opposite his own house, Zadok, Meshulam, opposite his own house. Over and over again, you see, each family had worked in the area right next to where they lived. They did what was natural. They did what was familiar. It was obvious. I mean, it's right outside the house. The commute to work was really short. And also, once they built it, they also knew that their own home and their own environment was well protected. And chapter 3 lists how each family, one by one by one, worked on the area right in front of their home home. And they traced the building all around from Sheep Gate clockwise to Sheep Gate. And while each family did its work or in front of their house, the structure around the entire city was completed. It was strong. And it offered protection and strength to the entire community. The many became one, and the whole was greater than the sum of its parts. The whole was greater than the sum of its parts. And, you know, I frankly cannot think of a better illustration than that, of that, than the choir that you just heard. Right? The choir had many voices. Each of them was unique. Each of them was necessary for the whole thing. And they all had their own specialties. The altos sang with the altos. The sopranos sang with the sopranos. The basses, they boomed out their basses. They all worked beautifully in their own areas, yet together, 
side by side by side, they blended harmoniously. And the whole was that choral piece you heard. And that whole was so much greater and better than just the sum of the individual parts. And that's what I mean by this particular observation. Now, when you're doing God's work, there will be, inevitably, um, challenges, difficulties, and even opposition. We've, we, read in, we read in four and five, chapters four and five, which we won't do today, but then the Israelites' enemies sought to destroy the work. They, they wanted to come in, disrupt, dislodge, dis, and just destroy the unity of the people. How did these people respond? We read in chapter four, they were steadfast. The first thing they did is we prayed. And then they set a guard for protection. Several times in that chapter, we read how one set of, one set of workers worked on the construction, the other set held the spears and the shields. One set worked at night. I mean, one set worked in the day, the other stood guard at night. The implication is that each person protected, guarded, and cared for each other. Each person protected, guarded, and cared for the other while doing God's work. And that's what we also ought to do while we participate in God's work. The whole thing wrapped up in Nehemiah chapter six. In verse 15, in verse 15 it said the wall was completed in 52 days. Wow, 52 days, that is record time. That's amazing. And all of the enemies, those who were looking at God's work, they were amazed as well because they saw the hand of God was upon them for good. It was God who helped them establish and, and finish the work. So there we have it. This was ultimately God's work. Next slide. This was ultimately God's work, but it required the participation of everyone, every single one. Each person was necessary to do this project. Each person worked in his own area of, of, of service. Yet the whole was much greater than the sum of its parts. And while they were working, each person was guarding and caring and protecting each other. This is a, such a beautiful illustration of the principle of participating in God's work, the ministry of the saints, which is one of the four values that we hold so dearly here at PBCC. You know, as we return from our isolation and we rethink our church, I think it is important for us to revisit these distinctives, these foundational aspects of PBCC. Ministry of the Saints is usually referred to and described by um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, this New Testament letter, it's wonderful. It, re it requires a whole year to study and to preach on. But um, in the remaining time, I won't do the whole chapters. I'm just gonna look at three verses. I'm gonna look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 and see how that applies to the participation in God's work. So Ephesians 4, here we go. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This passage complements so well the, the Nehemiah story because it gives you the theological significance of participating in God's work. And, and I'm gonna give you four observations from this familiar passage. The first observation is the role of the leaders. God gave us leaders. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. But the passage doesn't say that these professional clergy do all of the work of the ministry. Rather, the passage says that they equip the saints, us, to do the work of the ministry. The, it isn't intended that all the leaders work and do everything. God's church is not a spectator sport, like football, where you have 22 men in the field desperately in need of rest, and 50,000 people sitting in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> That's not how it works. God gave us leaders in order to equip us, equip us, katartismos. This is a really interesting and unique Greek word, and it actually means to make complete, to make perfect. The leaders equip us and make us complete so that we can do God's work. How do they do that? Well, they preach from the pulpit. They teach us in classes. They, they counsel us in relationships. They show us how to lead through ministries. And as we learn from their teaching, from their example, then we become complete, we become equipped to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So that's the role of the leaders. What is our role? Our role is to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. This word ministry, sometimes, uh, sometimes translated as service, it comes from the word diakonia, diakonia, which is the word from which we get the word deacons. And I just love that how Carl acknowledged the deacons. But more than saying that the deacons did all the work, what we are understanding is that the deacons involved all of us. All of us are doing the God's work. All of us can and must and should be involved, doing areas, working in areas that are just the most familiar to each one of us, you know, whether it's at home or at work, in our neighborhoods or at, in the church. As I mentioned, I want to pivot to our community life here at church. What could be your service, your diaconia, your ministry here at church? Well, you could get involved. You could participate in a home fellowship or in a Bible study. You could volunteer to co-lead a Bible study in women's or men's groups. If you're familiar with computers or you understand sound technology, you could get involved doing our live stream. Talk to Ray Barbieri. He would love to get some more volunteer help to help with that. If you're a musician, you know, talk to Dave, Dave and be part of the choir. Talk to James Garcia, our worship pastor. He would love to involve you and allow you to participate through ministry. You can get involved in youth, in children's, in prayer ministry. Yeah, Christine's clapping there. <laughs> well, you see, we all could be doing this. And through it all, not only do we serve each other, we also build relationships. We encourage each other, we teach each other, and the whole body becomes strong and, and, and united. 
So what does it look like when that whole body is built up? Does it mean that our online audience grows? Or maybe our parking lot fills up? Well, that may happen, or maybe it won't. But that's not the focus of our ministry. The focus is rather the spiritual health of the body. In other words, do we love Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind? Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Those are the measures. Now, Paul mentions two other measures of the building up of the body of Christ in this passage. They are unity and maturity. So let's look at them. First, unity. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Believing in Jesus, knowing him, walking with him, that's what PBCC is all about. Knowing Jesus and making him known, right? That's right front and center. That's our purpose. That's our work. That's what unites us and transcends any class, any race, any politics, any careers. It transcends all of that and it unites us arm in arm into one body. And that's why we are one body, one spirit, one hope. There's one faith, one baptism, one Lord. And there's one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. That is the unity we desire. And then the second measure is mature, maturity. It says, until we all attain to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we all want to grow in maturity in our Christian walks, right? We don't want to be spiritual babes, which Paul describes in a subsequent verse, children that are tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. You see, we do live in a world that's full of these ideas, doctrines, cunning schemes. Just as Israel's enemies tried to dislodge their unity, tried to disrupt their work in the rebuilding, we too are inundated by the world, by our own fleshly sins, even by Satan and his deceitful schemes. So how do we help each other to remain mature in the onslaught of all those worldly distractions? Well, we must guard, protect, and care for one another. Guard, protect, and care, just like the Israelites did when they were doing God's work. We do that by encouraging and praying for each other in discipleship and prayer groups. We do that by teaching and counseling each other in, in small groups. We help each other intentionally so we can be stronger disciples, stronger followers and lovers of Jesus. And when we do that individually, the whole body can reflect the fullness, the fullness and the stature of Jesus Christ. Paul's uh, words in Ephesians 4, 15 here, this describes what it looks like when the whole body is mature. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, Ephesians 16 is a beautiful word picture. It's a picture of all of us being one organic body, built up in love built up as a body. 
So each one of us works properly within our own domain, and then the whole body is strong. And the head of this body, it's Christ. Christ is the head of this body. And when we are full and built up, we can reflect his perfect measure, his perfect humanity, his perfect obedience to God. Well, perhaps this side of heaven, we're not going to achieve that perfection. But that is our goal. That is our destiny. And that's what we want others to see, the body of Christ, that they are amazed that God is in this. God is doing this. So there we have it. The, our journey today began, began with a, a message from Nehemiah 3. We see how they participated and collaborated in doing God's work. And that launched us over to Ephesians, where we talked about the, one of the PBCC distinctives, ministry of the saints and building up the body of Christ. And now I want to go full circle, back to where we started, the original theme, which is return, repair, and rebuild, and talk about it in context of PBCC uh, as we return right now. As you may have heard announced um, over the past three weeks, we have been going through quite some transitions. You know, we've transitioned our children's ministry from a retiring bunny to Christine. We have combined the middle and high school ministries into one youth ministry under Becca. We heard that Brian is going to be shifting his focus into a very vital part of ministry, which is preparing the leaders of our next generation. All of these transitions are changes, and they happen on top of us coming out of the pandemic, hopefully. Change is hard. Change can cause in some of us uh, anxiety, unknown, maybe loss. Some of you may have doubts and have questions. We get that. We, we, we understand that. So, so as one of your elders, let me be as transparent as I can and speak to you from my heart. Your leadership group, the pastors and elders, just like some of you, we are really, really weary from the pandemic. And we're really worn out from being isolated from another. And we confess to you that our relationships uh, amongst the leaders is not that great. It's gone under some atrophy because we haven't been meeting. And that's why we as a leadership, we're really excited to come back together and meet face to face. We're attending each other's meetings now. We are taking steps as your leadership in this direction. During the pandemic, we invited some new elders to join the board. And with that, we we're able to partner up one elder with one pastor. We didn't have enough elders in the past to do that, but now we can. One pastor, one elder, side by side, arms locked, hand in hand, and we're gonna commit to praying for one another, and we're gonna be protecting and guarding one another. We're gonna take Nehemiah 3 and put it to action. That's what we're gonna do. Now, as a body, uh, we're looking forward to this, some of the changes that are coming up. And as difficult as some of them may feel, we are looking forward to it. You know, we are inviting the children and the youth to be part of the body, because this does reflect the whole body. And so we're looking forward to that. And even though we are able to meet here personally, we're gonna continue to live stream our second service, because we want to expand the impact of the word beyond just these four walls to our growing online audience. And we wanna do these things with you, 
along with you. And we invite your input. We do, and we invite your participation in all of these areas. We invite your prayer support as we navigate these changes over this next weeks and months. Yes, as leaders, we may not have all of, your, all of the answers to your questions, but we do have confidence. We are embracing this. We're gonna step out in faith. You know why? Because the head of the body is Jesus Christ. He is our head. We have confidence that he will lead us, that he will guide us. We anticipate the Holy Spirit to be working in each one of your lives to speak to you to how to participate. And we are sure that God is in it. His hand is upon us for good. God is, he's got us. He's got our backs. And so if he's got us, what do we have to be afraid of? So, as you can tell, we're excited to be back. We're excited to join with you in our transition as we return, rebuild, rethink our church. Because, after all, we are God's people. We're chosen of the Lord. We're born of the Spirit. We're established by his word. Our cornerstone is Christ alone, and him strong we stand. So let us live transparently, and let's walk heart to heart, hand in hand. So let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have brought us together as a family, as a, as a unified body. We're thankful that you are leading us. May your vision be our vision, your ways our ways. We anticipate the Holy Spirit to be working and moving in each one of us. And we thank you, God, that you are good all the time and that if you are for us, no one can be against us. And in you, we are so much more than conquerors and that you will never leave us. Thank you for this time and may these words burn in our hearts. Amen. Now, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To him be glory and honor and power forever. Amen. Amen.